0: We're going to turn now to focus on money, and this is our last uh, p.m. of looking at money and what God says about our money. Um, so let's read from Luke, chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Uh, How about I lead us in prayer before we look at these words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hour now to think about these words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for your servant, Rowan. Help him to teach us and encourage us from these words. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant all of us wisdom to know how you would like us to use all that we have for your purposes. And then, Lord, grant us courage to act. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. I'll invite Rowan up now to talk to us.
1: what real wisdom looks like when it comes to money. That's the question we want to talk about today. What does real wisdom look like when it comes to money? Because that little story that we just had read for us doesn't strike me as terribly wise. We've got the Bible here in that book of Luke 21. I'll throw it back up on the screen. This poor widow... We're told that she's poor. Jesus, is there by the temple, is a treasury where the Jews of today would come and put their gifts in, giving to the work of God's people then through the, through the temple. He sees other people putting lots of bigger gifts, but then this poor widow comes up and puts in two lepta, which is a tiny, tiny Greek point, really not worth very much at all. And Jesus says, "Truly, this. I tell you this." Well, widow we put in more than all of the others. These people made out of their gifts, out of their wealth, she out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. She's put in all she had to live on. That doesn't sound smart. That sounds maybe a bit Put in all you had to live on? Give it all the Really? That's clever. That's smart. According to Jesus, mm-hmm. see, he holds that up. That seems to be wisdom. That seems to be mm-hmm. what wise financial stewardship looks like. But Jesus seems to commend her exactly. That doesn't make any sense, I think, to our so I don't think it make no sense to us. That to put in all your hands and want, would be smart. How would that work? Have you mm-hmm. been over there in the last couple of weeks? Hopefully, by some of the things we've looked at in the teachings of Jesus, hopefully actually if that starts to form a bit of a framework for you, that actually would mean when you look at the widow's examiner, you could almost see now how it could be wise. What have we seen over the last couple of weeks? First of all, um, the first week we talked about money and God. Jesus said, you can't serve God and money, you have to choose. You have to choose who you're going to serve, God or If you choose to serve God, then what that looks like, as a follower of Jesus, is that you understand that you're, you, you are a steward. God entrusts His stuff to you. It's not your stuff, it's His stuff. He entrusts it to you, and then you, as a faithful and trustworthy steward, are to use His stuff that keep purpose, not your own. That's what a trustworthy steward does. And so that's what we saw in the first week. So the money in God, choose your master, Don't choose God, and he steward his staff and his purpose. Now last week, when we talked about money and us, we talked about how God has, seems to have an economic model in the Scriptures. What's God's economic model in the Scriptures? Well, if you wanted to characterize it, I use the phrase, faith filled financial interdependence. Not independence, but interdependence. Where we depend upon each other, and the idea there was that you use whatever excess God has given you, instead of storing it up for your own future basic needs, which Jesus is your favorite greed you use that current excess, that present excess, to meet the present physical and spiritual needs of other people—people people in your immediate family, people in your local church, people amongst the wider global Christians, community, and also, more broadly, a, amongst everybody who might be in need. Do it for the good of all. That's a faithful, financial, interdependent model that Jesus seems to command and see repeated right throughout the Scriptures. And so, in Jesus' words, we've in Luke 12, instead of uh, worrying about your future, needs, what a disciple of Jesus should do is seek first God's here. And someone with a farm will look after those basic as well. Now, bear in mind those things we've seen over the last few weeks, and then you think about the widow's example, you can start, start to see that actually, well, I guess she's living this out, isn't she? She's choosing her master, she's worshipping the one through God, she's being a steward of what God has entrusted to her, she's entrusting her future basic needs to the community under uh-huh. the hand of God. So, you can see this living out, this sort of stuff. So, yes, I guess. It looks like wisdom. It doesn't look like wisdom as we know it, but yes, with a biblical mind, that's wisdom. Entrusting yourself to your heavenly father. So, what we want to do this week is continue this three week sort of inoculation process, the inoculation program that we've been doing to help inoculate you against philoduria, money life. Is that a word in the New Testament? One one word for which means money life. We're trying to inoculate you against money life. So what are we up to this week? Well, this particular week I want to share with you the antidote to money life. Bill has an antidote. And what it is is called contentment. So this week we're going to know contentment and generosity. So if you have uh, got your Bible there. We're going to turn start by Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13 verse 5, the antidote to money love, filiguria, according to Hebrews 13 verse 5, is faith-filled contentment, faith-filled contentment. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money, that's the word. And be content with what you have. Right? So, what's the answer? Instead of wanting more and more and more, instead of sort of a death of the mum on the mum, the answer is be content with what you have. Instead of craving after more. What I find interesting is the, the right of the history of where it goes next. The rest of this part Because, he says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. How can you be content? Why should you be content with just whatever you have? Why should you keep yourself free from honey? How can you be content? His answer is, because you've got God. God has said to you, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You have God. So, you can be content whatever you have, whatever you have received in His hand. That's the secret of content. Knowing what you have God and whatever you give you. Paul says a very similar thing. You don't have to look it up now, but I'll just talk to you about it in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul says like, I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. You think, see, that's it, good. What is the secret, of being content in any and every situation? That's a good secret to know. What is it for? And then he said, verse 13, here it is, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What's the secret of being content in every situation, whether welfare or hungry, whether living in plenty or want? It's knowing that you can do all things through him who gives you strength then you don't care so much whether you've got plenty or whether you've not got much. because so you know you can do whatever God wants you to do with the Christian community. You see the answer? The secret of contentment is faith-filled. It's not that suddenly you've reached some new level of Zen where you sort of digest yourself of any worldly concerns and go, oh no, I don't need anything, I'm just really a peep. No, actually the Christian understanding of contentment is, I can be content because... I know that I have God, who has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, who will give me the strength to do whatever he needs you to do in whatever situation I'm in. That's the secret of contentment. It's faith Because you know God, and you know that he will not leave you or forsake you. He will send you, you want, that, This is the heart the secret of Now, I don't know what you're doing, if you think you are a content person. Remember what the writer of the Hebrews said: Keep yourself free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Are you content with what you have, or do you want more? Our
0: society,
1: just the culture in which you swim every moment of every day, has an insatiable desire for more. And it's really easy for us as people who have to swim in that culture. Even though you might love the Lord Jesus, you just live in that culture, today, But day. it's really hard for us to not just want more and more and more ourselves. Wouldn't you like an iPhone six rather than that crummy iPhone five or four, oh. four? That you've got now? Wouldn't you like a decent computer rather than one that just. Wouldn't you like the latest gadget? We want more clothes. We want more shoes. We want more jewelry. We want more books. We want more music. We want a better car. We just want a car. <laughs> and when you leave here, you want to be able to create something. But will that be enough for you? No, because then I want to be able to buy something. Just something, somewhere small, somewhere, 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 somewhere that's our own. And will that be enough for you in all your days? Oh, well, then I'll, I'll want something a bit Something the backyard. And once you've got that, you'll do the whole to get the investing property to sort of do. We just want more and more and more. And what the how are you going to get all that stuff? Well, the kidney okay, need money, it? you need money to get that stuff. Hebrews 35. Keep your lives Free from the love of God. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I deceive so really you. I think it's a really big challenge for me, for you, you, all of us, to be content with what we have to down. We don't think we're greedy, but we're not actually just content with whatever we've like. got. We want to travel. We want to go places. We want to eat nice food. Be so content with what you have. Because God has said, Everything will be in your life. And the answer to deliver it. To my life. Take three. Actually, we can even dig a little bit further from what the New Testament said about the 10. But I don't know if we want to go there. But that one, we're going to go there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take so a little bit further. I've already talked about these things. Let's look at 1 to 56. 1 to 56, we'll look at the 7th of the Bible. 1 to 56 versus 6 to 10, Paul talks a little bit more about the 10th And look what he says here. But godliness with contentment is great value. Denying, yeah, right? we've been talking about people who might be using the gospel for financial, financial gain. If they're glad to do it But actually, godliness with contentment, that actually is great gain. I think you're really breaking it in if you're just content with what you've got, denying it. He said, verse 11, for we brought none into the world, and we can pay nothing it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Where does Paul, in that verse, set his contentment leader? Where does he set his contentment level? Bones? Overseas travel, at least once every three years? A nice holiday house? Uh, where did he get it? If we have food and clothing, we will really be content. He's really dialed down his contentment. Food and clothing. Uh, really? Why do he keep food and clothing? Is that random? Was that just what he chose? I can't prove this to you, but I think it's really interesting that where Paul said his contentment level like food and clothing is exactly the level that Jesus promised to provide in Luke 12. In Luke 12, we would have asked, what do you say? Why are you, his disciples, worried about what you will eat and what you will wear? Luke 12. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Your father knows you need them, Seek so you know his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. And so, what does Paul say? If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. I'll pitch my content level at what Jesus promised. That's a sure way never to get disappointed, isn't it? That's pretty smart, actually. What's Jesus promised? Food and clothing, right? I'll set my content level there, never be disappointed. What's more, the other great benefit of dialing down your content to food and clothing. What's the other great benefit of that? Think about all the stuff that suddenly, God's stuff, that suddenly you can use for His purposes. Because you're not obsessing over it to mean you're an elevated contentment level. Suddenly there's all sorts of other stuff that you could divest yourself of and use for God's purposes. Because you set your contentment level, and that's the basis. So, this is the first part of the antidote to so money anyway, contentment. And it feels challenging, doesn't it? Because we live in such a rich culture with such elevated lifestyles, elevated contentment, and just that sort of contentment is just foreign to Second thing, though, like the second thing that comes up when you think about these issues is paired with contentment is general. Yeah, right. Generosity. Let's think a little bit about generosity. Still there in one chapter six. What is God's word to people who are rich? You might think, given the things we've just been talking about today, but also weeks, you might think surely then God's word to people who are rich who have abundance would be give it all away. Get rid of it all. That would be sort of command. There are some points in the New Testament where Jesus does do that. You might know the story of the rich ruler in Luke 18 who comes to Jesus and they have a conversation and then Jesus says, there's one thing you need to do. Sell all your possessions, give away before the come all And the rich guy goes away sad because he was rich and couldn't do it. And Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go to the island of a for a rich person to Right. So sometimes Phyllis does put his finger right on someone's philoduria and says, Yep, yeah. that's what you've got to do, that's what you've got to do. You're going to have to sell a lot just to get rid of it. But he doesn't say that to everybody. There's no one in the New Testament that everyone who's rich is commanded to get rid of them. That's not, not the that. case. There are rich Christians here in the New Testament. What is God's word to the rich Christians then? What does he tell you? This is a great passage for that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 to 19. Don't look how far. Command those who are rich in the present world, is the command, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so absurd, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich to indeed, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay out treasure for themselves as a the firm foundation for the coming act, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. A couple of things count in that little paragraph that we've already seen, just to remind us of them. One is notice how future focused it is. The rich are, they're rich in this present world, Paul says, but they're thinking about the future world, they're thinking about the age to come. They're seeking to store up treasure for themselves in that age. They're not going to put their hope in their wealth, they put their hope in God. So they might to take hold of the life that is really life, that is the life of the age to come. It's all future focused The other problem with the rich is, you've got to have less materialism and more eschatology. But that's the thing. You've got to have less materialism, more ethical more thinking about the future. That's the thing to get your thinking right on the perspective. What else does he say to the future? Because so, what they command you to do is be generous. ready to share. That's what discipleship looks like if you happen to be a follower of Jesus who happens to be being blessed of many riches, It looks like you being ready to share. Have it ready to go. Don't be holding on to it so tightly. Rich, generous, ready to share. He does say there, others, that it's God who has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. It's God who is one who's giving you these riches. And yes, God's riches are to be enjoyed. But I don't think they're to be enjoyed just by you they to be enjoyed by his creatures. Everything God creates is good. Paul talks about this earlier. Everything that God creates is good and should be received with thanksgiving. So I think what Paul's saying here is yes, God has originally provided these things to you for our enjoyment. They're to be shared around so that everyone might enjoy it. Not just for your own personal pleasure. Okay, so. Here's this then called God's command to the rich, the rich Christians. Be generous, ready to share. How does that work out? How do you actually do that? How do we hold together, how do we hold together, before we get to 2 Corinthians, how do we hold together being rich? Because we are rich, we've got much more than we just need to be. How do we hold together rich and contentment and generosity? How do we hold those things together? Does not mean that you somehow should get rid of all the riches and give them all away? Well, no. not necessarily.
0: Doesn't mean that you can just pick it all for
1: yourself, and well, that doesn't seem to take hold of the generosity aspect and the contentment aspect. I think the way you hold these two things together, scripturally, is by understanding voluntary sacrifice. Jesus doesn't tell you you have to give away everything. Jesus doesn't tell you you can never enjoy any of the my riches that I material riches that are blessed to do. He never says that. But he does say to you, you don't need to worry about the future basic things. Your excess can be used to bring blessings and reality and pursue God's purposes in the world. And you are free to do that. And he encourages you to do that. He doesn't command you to give it all up. He lets you do it. He lets you give it up as a voluntary sacrifice. And in our culture, the idea of voluntary sacrifice has gone way out of fashion. Sacrifice at all, actually, is way out of fashion. You shouldn't have to sacrifice anything. But if you have to sacrifice, then you do it when it's demanded when you've got no man no to sacrifice. But the model here of Jesus Himself is voluntary sacrifice, not because it's demanded of Him, not because it's forced, but because there's a need and I can. That's how we hold together: riches, content, and generosity, not compulsion. Now, um, we don't have time to dig into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but it's a fantastic place to explore what does God's Word say about Christian generosity. There is so much good stuff in those two chapters. If you want to sort of dig further into this, that would be a great thing to read during the week, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Lots of great things there on generosity. For example, generosity, according to the Bible, should be according to your means. Right? It's not about sort of a set amount according to your means, that it's it's being, uh, given voluntarily and cheerfully, and that generosity pays. Now that's, that's an idea that's been by prosperity riches. The idea that whoever sows generously or will leave generously. And prosperity riches on the you give leave, I'm sorry, the church for money, and, and then you will get your money. That's not no what we see all through these periods is that there is an excaliburistic focus it's focused on the future. You so generously have up, get material, and you grieve generously, spiritually engage the past. I think that's what Paul's called. And then, you is not a thing, it carries the eternity. And you will turn your head So, that's a little bit about teaching about generosity. The New Testament never says to you, this is what generosity equals. It equals this proportion of your income. It never defines generosity but it does give you examples of generosity. The sort of examples that you just give are like where we started today. The widow, the poor widow who gave everything she had to live on. That's generosity. Generosity is there in chapter 8 when we look at the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches who Paul says gave in some game, they gave according to their means. But then you sort of correct it actually they gave beyond their ability. They gave more than what actually you would have reasonably expected was possible for them. They sacrificed the to be. Or well, the third example you see in the New Testament, it's also there in 2 Corinthians 8, is of course Jesus. Jesus, who Paul said, though he is rich. For your sake, became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. While the eternal word becomes a human being, goes to death on a cross, so that you be blessed in the spiritual with every That really takes me to the heart of being a generous person. It's not just because you have a generous disposition or demeanour. No, we are called to be generous children of the generous God. We are called in some ways to be like our Heavenly Father. Our Father who gave us His only son. And the Father and the Son who have given us said the Spirit, and the Spirit who gives us union with Christ and access to the Father. We have a generous God who's being generous to us, and now we get to be in generous children, reflecting his generosity in our journey to one another in the way we doing this stuff. This is the picture of generosity. So I'll finish with a few stories maybe, about generosity before I get to him. Um, I know well to just bring it for your encouragement, I guess, to put some sort of to put some in dynamics like the generality. I know a guy who uh, was trained to be a doctor and was on track to become a specialist. Specialists made lots of money. Um, while he and his, while he and his wife he was studying, I don't know if they had kids yet, but they were given, because a relative died in their family, they were given a house at the part of the inheritance. Not the Harlem of They were given a whole house that was land to them as the part of inheritance. Well, he's a student, a medical student. Now most of us would sort of go, Woo! My future is there! I've already got a house, paid off, and now everything I earn is bonus. Like we're on. We're on track for a pretty crazy life. But then because they love the Lord Jesus and they love God's word in the world, they're thinking like this. We already had someone the to leave as if they were reaching somewhere, so they had ready to show up they to live like that, so God provided for them. He was on track for becoming a medical specialist, so therefore earning a lot of money in the future. And they said, We don't need this house. So they sold the house. And they gave away all the proceeds to God. All. Because they said to me, we wanted to train ourselves to become generous people, to give away. That's big, right? That's big. But you do need to train yourself if you want to be that sort of generous person. Has God looked after them? Yes. Is He? He works in the specials like they have quite a modest house, actually, in the suburbs. So that's generous. Now, yeah, no one's ever given me a house. <laughs> <laughs> um, so i can't tell you a story like that. I, I can tell you a little bit about Jenny and my story. Before we had kids, um, we were both working in Christian, Christian sort of jobs, Christian dental jobs, so not only really stack that money, but we had a desire to go to India for a year as on sort of to do mission work. So we were going plan to go there for a year. But because it was short term, we needed to fund it ourselves. And then after that the plan was that I would go to Bible college. And that was going to be four years. Uh, and so we were hoping in that time journey might be able to have kids. And so we were looking at five years no income. So what we did for the two years prior was we saved up money to try to get us through those five years because I wasn't have any off study I not... So we saved up a sum of money that we figured would would get us to India and back and that would replicate sort of the government payments that I wasn't going to be able to get. Right? That was what we saved up. Saved up the money. Went to India, Circle there, had a fantastic time, it was awesome. About later. I came back into Bible college, also awesome, but anyway, got through the five years, got to the end, and we calculated it and worked it out so we go. At the end, we will have no money. That was the goal. The goal was sort of, yep, yeah, we would just have no money left, but then hopefully I would be able to get a job, work with a pastor somewhere, and we'll be okay. At the end of those five years, though, when we looked in our bank account, and I still don't really understand how this happened. There was, there was money left. In fact, we, I think there was about 40% of what we had saved up initially was still there. And I don't really know how that happened. I think it was because people were generous to us and just gave us stuff on the way through. And so we got to begin, there's this oh money. <laughs> yeah. Right, okay, well I mean, suddenly we've now made money, actually almost as popular to we or like we're actually... <laughs> And, and then, generally, yeah. a while ago, she Don't you remember what we did there? I said, Actually, I can't remember. What did we do there? She said, We can't, remember. We gave away now. Because we didn't need it. Because so we got through it. I went, Oh, right. It's not sort of good that I can't remember. Because yeah, cause, cause you don't want to remember all the stuff that God gives you. You just want to receive it and give it up and do it something. Right? And so, it's no need actually. We can do that. The third little oh, story I'll give you is this guy, John Wesley. I've been thinking about money and our culture and how to do it for the last you know, more than ten years. Trying to wrestle with the scriptures and sort of work out things like the things I've been sharing if you go, well, we went the, the, the scriptures, right? Then yesterday, if not yesterday, I read a sermon from John Wesley. That he preached in 1774, and basically, I couldn't say it until I was 30 years in thick, if I just read this sermon, because my like, kids you not, know, you don't read it, you think, so one of them has been copying from the other. But actually, no, we've both just been using the Bible. Anyway, this sermon just basically says a lot of the things I've been talking about over the last three weeks, just in different language. John Wesley became a very famous Christian preacher, because you of know, books he wrote and stuff like that, and became quite wealthy. But he was determined, he was determined himself to live simply, to dial down contentment and to give away as much as possible. So, you know, he records his expenses in one particular year, and we're talking, you know, mid 18th century, was £28. That's what it cost him to live for the year. And how much money did he get that year? £30. So he gave away £2. But he then records that many years later his total living expenses had gone up and now 30 pounds per year. His income that year was £1,440. So he just spent 30 pounds and he gave away £1,300, £1,400, whatever the, whatever the record was. He gave that away. He just tried to in fact. This was so suspicious that he actually got sent a letter by the tax department in the UK. think mm-hmm. you do know, in 1776 English Tax Commissioner inspected Wesley's return mm-hmm. and wrote to him the following. We cannot doubt that you have plates for which you have hitherto neglected to make an entry. Plates is like silverware. They're thinking, you've got all this money, you've bought expensive, you've got plates stored away that you haven't told us about. Wesley wrote back, I had two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plates I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while so many round me want bread. In 1744, Wesley wrote, when I die, if I leave behind me ten pounds, you and all mankind may bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. How so? Because he kept it for himself. He said, if I've done that, if I've got ten pounds that's my name you. You call me a thief and a robber. Because I kept it for myself. And I obviously didn't mention. Contentment, generosity, following dreams. Trust in your Father who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you.
0: Thanks, Rowan. Um, Let's pray to (coughs) finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word convicts us and challenges us. And we pray that you help us to think seriously about these things. Help us to encourage one another, ask hard questions. And Father, we pray above all that you will help us to have generous, content hearts. And
1: (laughs) Father, help us.
0: And we confess that we are not always generous um, in our actions and in our hearts. Um, So please help us. Please help us to have the attitude of Christ who gave up his very life. And uh, We thank you that um, in the big picture of things, everything is secure, our future is secure. So may that free us to love you and love others. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ,
1: Amen. Amen.